Welcome, I'm Sirius Afshar, and this is the Wigo's Informal Economy Podcast, Social Protection. In this monthly podcast, we will discuss some of the most pressing issues related to the linkages between the informal economy and social protection, including debates around workers' health provision, pension schemes for older workers, as well as childcare systems and other social protection policies for informal workers in order to improve their livelihoods. And in this episode, we will talk about childcare. It is often regarded as part of the education policy centered around early childhood care and development. But childcare is also the provision of a service that has a close relation to social protection and women economic empowerment. Informal women workers' low earnings mean they work long hours to secure their family livelihood, oftentimes leaving little time for them to take care for children living in their households. But children require care, and without the provision of quality childcare services, women either take on more flexible but insecure informal work, work fewer hours in these jobs than they need or want, or are less productive because they have to look after their children while they're trying to work. The lack of quality childcare options contributes to gender inequality in labor force participation rates and earnings and to high levels of poverty among women informal workers. Today, we invite Rachel Moussier to help us understand more about the importance of childcare for social protection and the role that the provision of these services have for women informal workers in supporting them to balance their productive and reproductive work and improving their quality of life and that of their children. Rachel holds a master's degree in development management from the London School of Economics and a bachelor's degree from McGill University in Canada. She is currently the deputy director of the Wigo's social protection program. Rachel, welcome to the Informal Economy podcast, Social Protection. Thanks, Iris. It's great to be here talking with you. So let's start. Yes. So Wigo's perspective on social protection includes three pillars, uh, workers' health and income security for all the workers, which are two common elements of social protection frameworks. But it also includes a third component, childcare. How does childcare fit into social protection policies? Yeah, well, as Francie and Laura described in the earlier podcast, social protection systems are meant to provide everyone with a minimum guarantee of income security across their lives. This is the right to social security established in human rights and labor rights conventions. And what we see is that taking care of children requires time and resources, and women and men must take time away from paid work and income-generating activities to care for their children. Social protection systems can protect against these income losses through maternity protections, for example, or child benefits in the form of cash transfers, and also in terms of child care provision. And as WIGO's focused on securing the livelihoods of the working poor with a specific focus on women informal workers, it is evident through the data and our own lived experiences that women do an unequal and much greater share of child care than men. And that's why our focus of childcare sits within the social protection program. So 
Let me give you an example. Time use survey data included in a recent ILO report called Care Work and Care Jobs for the Future of Work cites that an, on average, men dedicate an hour and 23 minutes per day on unpaid care work. That includes cooking, cleaning, taking care of children, and other household members. In comparison, women spend four hours and 25 minutes per day. That is three times the, the time men spend on unpaid care work. So in Ghana, time use survey data also shows that the presence of a young child in the home means women spend almost two more hours a day on unpaid care work, while men spend only an additional three minutes. So though child care, we would argue, is a responsibility both for women and men, we see that today's reality is that child care is done mostly by women and mostly by women in work as well. And women informal workers, by definition, are excluded from social security systems, guaranteeing maternity protections for workers in the formal sector. They may not be poor enough either to benefit from means-tested child benefits or cash transfers, but they're also unable to afford private childcare services. So they're in this missing middle and have little to no support from the state or employers for their childcare needs. And this for me is why childcare is the third pillar of WIGO's social protection program, because it is so central to the lives of many working women in the informal economy. We've also just received this feedback from member-based organizations who are uh, members of WIGO through discussions with women informal workers themselves, sharing that they face difficult and unfair choices uh, when they seek to earn an income and also care for the children in their households. So they lose out on income when they bring their children with them to work, but yet they need this income more than ever because they have children in their households. So how does the, the fight for childcare is related to this broader WIGO's mission to improve uh, informal workers' livelihood? Uh, which are the challenges that these workers face compared to, you know, workers from uh, the formal sector? Um, it's the same struggle for many women workers in the formal sector as well, who do not have access to childcare. We see that childcare services in low and middle and income countries are lacking across the board, particularly for children between the ages of zero to three years old or zero to four years old before they enter the sort of pre-primary or primary education. And what we see, though, for informal workers is that, that many women, because of their childcare responsibilities, are more likely to choose flexible work that allows them to earn some income while also caring for their children. That's true for women in the formal and informal sectors. But it is also an explanation for why some women enter the informal economy. It's one reason, not the only reason, but taking up work as a home-based worker or a street vendor and market trader or a waste picker offers women flexible working hours, and they can, in certain cases, for instance, a street vendor or market trader can bring their young children with them to work. In the case of a home-based worker, they're able to work with their child at home with them. But there's a hitch, of course. Though more flexible, these forms of work are more insecure with lower returns. Um, this means women informal workers cannot afford to pay for private childcare services, even when these are available. And high-quality childcare services are often not available. 
What we also see is that for self-employed informal workers, such as street vendors and market traders, home-based workers and waste pickers, they cannot rely on employer-provided creches, which can be a solution for some women formal sector workers in factories or in large agricultural plantations. I think also the situation is different for domestic workers, most of whom are informal workers. Their childcare needs are frequently disregarded. Live-in and migrant domestic workers will likely have to entrust their children in someone else's care while they help raise their employer's children. If they're informal domestic workers, they will not have access to maternity protections through their employer and the social security system, and their long working hours and low pay make it impossible for them to provide quality care for their own children. Actually, we've seen, for instance, women domestic workers switching out of domestic work because of the long hours into more flexible forms of informal work, uh, such as market trading or home-based work, to allow them to take care of their children while they earn an income. So in which ways is the provision of childcare important for workers' economic empowerment? Yeah, I think there's a lot of research now that shows that women with children tend to be poorer and in lower earning forms of work than women without children and men with or without children. So a UN Women Review of household surveys in 89 countries found that women from the ages of 25 to 34 years old, so prime reproductive years, are 22% more likely to live in extreme poverty than men. And that really goes to show the extent to which pregnancy, taking care of a child just after birth, and childcare thereafter have a direct impact on earnings and the forms of work. And publicly financed and high-quality childcare provision would mean that women could entrust their children while they work to earn an income. We'd have to ensure, though, that quality childcare provision would also match working hours for informal workers. Another way in which you can support workers' economic empowerment is that building up public childcare services, so investing in childcare, can also generate new decent work opportunities for women and men. It can create bridges for women in the informal economy to transition to more formal working arrangements, while also giving greater recognition to the skills many domestic workers already have in childcare provision. And I think importantly, and this is this is often not discussed when we talk about women's economic empowerment or well-being, but what has come out very strongly in our discussions with women informal workers is the peace of mind to know that your child is well cared for in a safe environment, uh, receiving nutritious meals, benefiting from education materials, and accessing regular health checkups through a child care center. And that peace of mind is actually invaluable. And the, the provision of child care services is also an important step towards breaking intergenerational poverty by giving the children of women informal workers who are among the most vulnerable a better start. So I think we need to look beyond just economic empowerment, but also looking at what publicly financed and high quality child care means for women's well-being and that of their households. So can you share some interesting examples uh, from cities or, or countries that manage to uh, find ways to provide uh, the, this quality childcare services for informal workers? I think there's, as I was saying earlier, there's just this lack of um, childcare provision, particularly for early childhood care and development. Uh, so from the ages of zero to six. 
And so I don't have as many examples of cities and countries in low and middle income countries that have sort of rolled out extensive public childcare services that are reaching informal workers. But because of this lack of childcare services, informal workers organizations have been trying to respond to their members' needs by offering childcare services or creating advocacy platforms to call for better childcare services. I'm going to talk about two examples here. Um, one example is from the Self-Employed Women's Association, SEWA, in Ahmedabad. They set up in the 1980s childcare cooperatives to provide childcare services for their members. And their members include domestic workers, uh, home-based workers, agricultural workers. They are all women and all within the informal economy. And the childcare cooperatives are run by SEWA members themselves who receive training to set up the childcare service. They meet regularly with parents to agree on the management of the childcare service, to track progress, and to also secure funding for the childcare service. And though the cooperatives that the childcare service charges a, a minimal user fee, most of the costs of the child care service are paid for through government subsidies, through other SEWA cooperative ventures, and that gives stability to the structure, the, the child care service itself. And what SEWA has done ha has been to discuss and communicate with its members as to what quality child care services look like for them. One of the key factors was training and trust in the child care providers. Uh, the second factor was working hours that meet informal workers' working hours, so that the opening hours of the child care center reflect the working hours of the mothers and fathers who are leaving their children there, and that the child care center provide a holistic approach. That means providing nutritious meals, providing education materials, and also being a space where health facilities link up so community healthcare workers come to the centers to provide vaccinations, to do regular checkups, uh, tracking children's growth. That's the kind of holistic approach that SEWA has taken to its childcare cooperatives. And rather than creating a system that runs parallel to the public integrated childcare development service in India, the SEWA childcare cooperatives have been trying to advocate for improving the Integrated Child Care Development Service, ICDS, that's provided in the state of Gujarat. At the moment, the ICDS centers only run four hours a day, and though they provide a nutritious meal for children and lactating mothers, they don't cover sufficiently of the working day to actually allow women to earn an income. And so what the child care cooperatives have done within SEWA, along with SEWA members who are benefiting from the child care cooperative, has been to collaborate with the ICDS centers in Gujarat to try to improve the service while also participating in a national campaign to improve public child care provision through the ICDS structures, taking on the learnings that they have acquired through the child care cooperative. So I think that's a really positive example of innovation at the level of workers' organizations that then can inform public policy around child care provision. Uh, we also see this in Belo Horizonte in Brazil uh, with the Waste Pickers cooperatives. Again, it was in the 1990s, Waste Pickers 
were raising the concern that their children were unsafe in recycling centers and at landfills. And so they wanted to create a safe space for their, their children. And with funding from an NGO, they set up a crash that was attached to the cooperative. And importantly, the, the crash had working hours, opening hours, that mimicked the very specific working hours of waste pickers. So the child care center was open from 6 in the morning to 10 o'clock in the evening, and it had four shifts of trained child care workers that would come in. The children didn't stay in the center from 6 to 10 in the morning, but it gave workers the flexibility to drop their children to the center when they needed to be collecting waste. And what's remarkable about this child care center was that through the participatory budget processes in Brazil in the early 2000s, this model of childcare provision for waste pickers was integrated into the public childcare service provision. So it's, it's now a well-known childcare center that is publicly run and managed in Belo Urgente, and it no longer is just for waste pickers, but it is also extended to other children in the So uh, Wigo has... Uh, launched um, a global campaign in favor of childcare provision for informal workers. Uh, can you explain on what it consists and which kind of initiatives are involved and, and what it has achieved so far? Yeah, I, I think the campaign has been quite a, a success in many ways. Um, it came from a demand from informal workers organizations for WeGo to support them in a global campaign around childcare. And the first thing I think that the campaign has done since it started in 2017 has been to put childcare as an issue for discussion within informal workers organizations. And that might not seem like a big deal, but it's significant progress in and of itself. It's for women informal workers to see their daily struggles to care for their children, not as a private matter that's dealt with by finding inadequate but necessary solutions like taking your young child to work in a crowded market or leaving your child in a low-quality child care center, but it's situating child care as a labor rights issue. And the campaign is about making the personal political, protecting women's incomes when they're expecting a child, after childbirth, and while they care for a child, is not a private matter, but a collective responsibility shared between households, including both women and men, the state, and employers and the owners of capital. And I think that in itself has been an achievement that The materials produced that have been shared with WeGo's membership of an international networks of informal workers organizations has really helped to start up a discussion uh, within their congresses or within national affiliates. And I think that's been really positive. In this effort, we've also been raising awareness within informal workers organizations of the relevant ILO conventions that they can draw on to make these claims for child care and maternity protections. So, for instance, using ILO Convention 102 on Social Security or ILO Convention 156 on Workers with Family Responsibilities, ILO Convention 183 on Maternity Protections, and of course, Recommendation 202 on Social Protection Floors, um, and specific to informal workers, there's also mention of the need to extend childcare in Recommendation 204 on the transition from the informal to the formal economy. And I don't mean to uh, belabor this point, but giving informal workers 
access to these legal tools in terms of labor rights standards is important in taking childcare in the public imaginary from a women's issue and a women's workers issue to a societal issue to a shared responsibility across society. I think another important achievement has been to give direction and also importance, visibility to women's demands for maternity protection and childcare provisions within informal workers' organizations. And that's also true for formal workers' organizations because we've been sharing the childcare materials with uh, formal trade unions as well. What we see is that demands for maternity protections and childcare provision, which may come from women workers in both informal and formal workers' organizations, are often not prioritized as key labor rights issues. And this campaign has helped to make their demands more visible within their own unions and cooperatives and organizations. A final achievement of the campaign has been to build bridges with various allies. Of course, with formal sector trade unions, as I've just mentioned, and the common struggle that all women workers face for childcare, but also recognizing that childcare is not the responsibility of one ministry in many circumstances. It is actually a shared responsibility across multiple ministries and at several levels of the state. So childcare can sit with the Ministry for Women and Children. It can also sit with support from the Ministry of Education and the Ministry of Health. And implementation can be done at the municipal level in collaboration with municipal authorities. And as a result, the child care campaign has helped us build bridges between women informal workers organizations and experts in the early childhood and development community, health experts in maternal and infant health, uh, urban planners, municipal authorities. And in this way, we've been able to engage and give visibility to women informal workers need and demand for childcare to multiple stakeholders. And I think that's been very successful. So which, which are the next steps for, for the Child Care Campaign Initiative and, and how can in workers' associations uh, join the, the campaign? So we'll be continuing to support informal workers' organizations that are keen to advocate for childcare with their municipal and state authorities as we go. To give you an example, it's been very encouraging uh, quite recently that the International Domestic Workers Federation at their Congress in 2018 agreed to a resolution on childcare uh, as a priority for the Federation. And I think that just goes to attest the, the saliency of this issue for women informal workers, the opportunities that it provides um, for not just domestic workers, but other workers' organizations to take up childcare. Uh, the campaign materials are available on the, on WeGo's website. Uh, you just need to type in WeGo Childcare Campaign and it will all show up. The childcare materials are available in seven languages, including Hindi, Zulu, Thai, uh, because these are the workers' organizations that started collaborating with us on childcare. But if workers' organizations want to send us their translations, then WeGo can take on the responsibility of laying out the materials in local languages. Uh, so then those materials can be printed by informal workers' organizations to share with their membership. We've also created a, a platform for a collective statement with global union federations, including Public Services International, uh, the IUF, the ITUC has also signed on, along with women informal workers organizations, demanding childcare as a need for all women workers. And we are encouraging 
uh, informal workers' organizations and formal workers' organizations to sign on to the statement and to the campaign, which will be visible on the WeGo website. Rachel Musi, thank you very much. Thanks, Cyrus, and thanks for the opportunity to share this with you today. So if you enjoyed the topic of this talk and want to learn more about WeGo's child care campaign, please visit WeGo's homepage at www.wego.org. There you can find lots of policy briefs to go deeper in the debates around childcare provision for informal women workers with interesting case studies like the ones from India and Brazil in which women workers collectively have managed to find solutions for the provision of childcare for their children. You can also find more about the childcare campaign, download pamphlets, stickers, posters and advocacy materials in several languages. We will leave links for all these resources and more on the description of the episode so you can check it out. And if you're enjoying the Informal Economy podcast, Social Protection, please subscribe on your favorite player and follow WeGo on Twitter and Facebook for more information on the debates on Informal Economy. I am Sirius Afshar and this was the Informal Economy podcast, Social Protection. See you next month.